Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. So this is day two, and we're talking about how to avoid deal-killing home inspections. We really appreciate all the feedback we had from all of you yesterday and some of our advanced uh, coaching, I think, and training, really, on how to go about making it so that you don't lose deals because of a home inspection. And today is day two. That's right. So yesterday was points one through six. We're starting on number seven today. Yesterday, we talked to you a lot about how to have preemptive strikes so that you don't really have to deal with all this, but let's be real. There are some worst case scenarios. So what do you do when the deal just gets stuck? You know, we should tell them the notes as always. We tell you guys this every day because a lot of you listen to us when you're on walks and you're doing just different things um, and you're not taking notes. Well, no worries. Uh, For those of you who are wanting to follow along in the notes, the Notes are down in the show description, or you want to go back and review the notes, they're in the show description. Whether you're on iTunes, you know, Yahoo, Yahoo, did I say Yahoo? What you the hell did. is Yahoo? <laughs> no. Spotify, uh, you know, all the YouTube, everywhere. It's all there. So just open up the show description and the notes are there. And also, if you want to, sometimes those um, different platforms, they'll edit our notes. In other words, they'll clip them so you don't get all the detail. If that's the case, just go over to timandjulieharris.com and and just click on podcasts. And you can see literally all of our thousands of past podcasts and the notes are all there for every show. And while you're there, of course, do seriously consider joining Premier Coaching. Premier Coaching uh, allows you to get instant access to the first level of our award-winning coaching program. And yes, that does include a daily semi-private coaching call with a Harris certified coach. It costs you nothing to join, so just scroll down below and click the link or just go to premiercoaching.com. All right, so worst case scenario when your deal gets stuck, there are some ideas. We're going to really hash this out today. First of all, you could use some of your processing fee kitty to help pay for repairs. Can you talk about what that is? We do this a lot in Premier Coaching, so just a quick overview. Yeah, Julie's using – so basically what all of you should be doing, and brokers, uh, you're probably already doing this, team leaders, the rest of you guys, uh, pay attention. All right, so a processing fee is just as it sounds. It's a fee that you charge in addition to your commission. And by the way, it's legal. Um, We knew – I mean, this was going to be 15 years ago, people that were charging a $1,000 processing Mm -hmm. fee – on any deals that were less than like, you know, 150 grand at the time. That's right. It It is legal. And if you look at a closing statement, mortgage charges it, title charges it, and many agents and brokers charge it. Well, what happens, you know, I actually should mention this. So there was a guy named Marshall Redder who's no longer with us, unfortunately. But he actually, he was selling a lot of houses in the Detroit area. And what he would do is he would have a minimum uh, amount of money that he would get paid on a sale no matter what the sale of the price was, sale price was. In addition to that, he would charge a processing fee. He was the one that was charging a thousand dollar processing fees, and some of the houses he was selling, listeners, believe it or not, were like far less than a hundred thousand really dollars. And he was still not only getting the seller to agree to it because the seller wanted the property sold, uh, but you know he had usually dozens and dozens of listings. So if you're selling luxury homes, you can charge a processing fee and everywhere in between. Also worth noting. You don't. You can charge processing fees on buyer sides and seller sides. Mm-hmm. We describe. We give you guys the whole breakdown how to uh, essentially disclose all that um, in a very easy way, frankly, to your buyers and your sellers in Premier Coaching. 
That's right. Because oftentimes your buyer or seller will expect you to kick something in. And it's nice to have a little bit of money set aside from your processing fee to take care of that. And if you're getting asked to kick in, it's probably because you didn't listen to yesterday's show and have the house pre-inspected and have the repairs done. So if you're getting, if you have just sort of normalized the idea that you have to lose money because the fact that the toilet in the seller's master bedroom needs to be fixed and somehow that's your problem. (laughs) So you're going to pay for it. (laughs) You're going to flush that money. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to flush that money. Go back to yesterday show and uh, take seriously the idea of getting sellers coverage. That way you can lean into that and not have to dip into your own pocket. That's right. And we talked about having sellers coverage yesterday, but if you don't have sellers coverage, one way to help a home inspection get resolved is to buy a home warranty if for the buyer if it's not included or have your seller buy the home warranty for the buyer. A buyer's agent could do that for their buyer. Well, so let's describe uh, and that. And that, that's often less expensive than actually paying for a repair. Right. So a uh, uh, we, we know many of you have never really asked for home warranties on behalf of your buyers. Well, you can. So let's say it's a very competitive real estate market. And let's say that, you know, just all the things. And this, the buyer doesn't want to lose the house. There were some things that came up in the inspection that the buyer would like to have fixed. They know if they ask, the seller's going to say no. Sounds familiar, listeners? Well, what you can do instead is ask the seller to pay for a home warranty policy if they have not already. And if they won't, then, you know, frankly you'll uh, maybe have the buyer agree to pay for it themselves. That way, when they close, the sort of, you know, the three furnaces that all need to be replaced in the next 12 months are all going to be covered under the home warranty. You guys get it? Yes. So you mentioned like the furnace is the obvious thing to go to, but this this solution, having somebody, buyer, seller, or you pay, or the, you know, themselves pay for the home warranty. This is especially good on older houses where everything is working but it's old, right? So, okay, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like a home inspector says, it's a 15-year-old furnace. It's going to need replaced. Well, maybe it's fully functional and has been serviced its whole life, and it's completely fine. Well, let's 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 level off there because you and I are playing home inspector, and that that's the nice. But it is. Let's just take a. You know different, what I'm saying, though. I do. But let's take a different perspective. Mm-hmm. First of all, 15-year-old furnaces can't really be fixed, basically, because they're one and done. Okay, but here's to Julie's point, older furnaces. But I imagine like when Julie and I were selling real estate, you go into some of these houses that were built like in the 1900s or the 19... Those octopus furnaces. And they had these crazy ass furnaces. You'd walk into these huge basements and the basement was centered by this ridiculous looking thing that like an octopus if you've never seen one of these before i can't even describe it It was so crazy (laughs) i mean to think that they're and then you know people used to have coal delivered all this craziness i mean you know that aside most of those furnaces have since been removed uh but here's really where the bottom line comes in new homes uh and this is shocking for a lot of you the stuff in homes it just isn't designed to last anymore a roof is not going to, there's no such thing as, unless it's a metal roof, there's no such thing as a roof in any market that's going to last maybe more than 10 or 12 years. Yeah. There's no such thing as a refrigerator that lasts 20 years. There's no, I mean, a refrigerator, even a really, really high-end sub-zero refrigerator, those things are not going to last, but maybe 10 or 15 years. All the things in the house. And then you get into the furnaces, the air. Oh, what happens if they have a pool? What if they have, mm-hmm. have a hot tub? What about the pool heater? What about the pool equipment? What about the, you know, the casita and all the other things? Okay. Okay. None of that, all those things are going to be problematic after about maybe eight to 10 years and needing replaced after about 12 to 15 years. 
which means that you might walk into a house or a listing appointment with a seller and they're saying like, What's, what are you talking about? The house is new. Well, look, it's year 10. Everything in the house is 10 years old. And you know that most of the things, because we just told you, are going to have a life expectancy of maybe 10 to 12 years. Those things are going to come out in the home warranty. That's going to kill your deal when the buyer basically is freaked out by the home warranty. The home, I'm inspection sorry, is those will come out during say. the home inspection. Yeah, that'll freak the, the buyer out during the home inspection when they know that they have to replace all the things. So that's the reason you always uh, you know, head that off the pass and get the seller to put a home warranty on it to, that's seller's coverage. Now, maybe the inspection happens. This, you know, The seller gets this grocery list of things that need to be replaced. But aha, you are the smart agent and you put a home warranty on that to protect the seller. The home warranty is not going to fix all that stuff. You guys get it? Follow our system. It'll save your deals. And it'll make you look like Superman or Superwoman in the eyes of your mm-hmm. buyer or your seller. For being proactive right. and not waiting for them to suffer. Okay, so uh, number eight, the worst, worst case scenario. You guessed it. Your buyer or seller expects you to pony up and pay for the repairs. I know, not your furnace, not your repair, but it is your deal. This is where you invoke the dreaded some money is better than no money scenario. Now, we did talk about using transaction fees to help with that. But if you don't have a backup offer and you're about to lose the deal, there's actually four different ways. There's more than this, but this is all we can do in a podcast. So I'm going to say if you are up against, if you're thinking about having to, you know, chip in to get a deal to close because of something like this, it's because you didn't do what we just told yes, you to do with right. regards to pre-inspecting the house and getting a home uh, warranty on the property. 100%. And, and I'm also going to say this too. Never, ever talk percents when you're talking about, you know, contributing money to a deal. Don't talk percents. Humans don't think in terms of percents. Mm -hmm. Like you might think, well, you know, you're a listing agent. Let's say you had a 3% commission on it. And you just say, okay, I'll reduce the commission by a percent. That means nothing to the seller. But if you say, you know, let's say it's a million dollar house and a percent is $10,000. And you are maybe you in the past have been willing to reduce your commission by a percent. So you lose 10,000 instead say, you know what? I appreciate that. I'll contribute $500 or I'll contribute a thousand dollars. 99% of the time they're going to be happy with that. You'll be shocked because they just want to feel like you're suffering some of the pain with them. They didn't necessarily have a, percentage in their mind or even a dollar figure which is crazy because you didn't benefit from the appreciation on the house but the logic I, I know, but yeah it but it is, is what it is right? <laughs> it's to be expected okay so that's again we're talking worst worst case scenario they want you and that's this is exactly what you're saying but you can always say no too i mean if a, if a buyer yeah. a buyer or a, a seller comes to you and asks you to contribute we do give you lots of scripts and your first is going to be obviously prevent them from happening in the first place mm-hmm. by listening to yesterday's show and the second thing, yeah, we're going to, you know, give you some scripting on how you can say no, you know, and, and do it in such a way that you don't make anybody mad. But if it still doesn't work and you know the house is going to be hard to sell if it goes back on the market, because now the uh, home, uh, the disclosure form has to be updated with all the skeletons and all the closets, hopefully not literally, then you're going to be dealing, <laughs> then you're going to be okay. dealing with, you know, a house that's even going to be harder to sell in situations like that. If you have to chip in a little to get the deal to close, you should probably do it because yes. Julie's point, some money is better than no money. <laughs> That's right. So again, four ways of resolving this, what you said, chip in versus paying for it. Let's say it's a $5,000 repair. You've got estimates. Maybe you offer $500 to help out versus losing a big chunk of your commission that you've worked so hard for. Again, to your point, they just want to feel that you're chipping in. Now, next thing you could do, if it's possible, get the seller and buyer to just meet in the middle. In our $5,000 scenario, the seller escrows $2,500 towards repairs to be released to the service provider when the receipt is submitted. The seller knows it's going to repairs and the buyer has some money to work with. And the buyer has chipped in as well. 
Now you can also, and I remember we did this. This is like your worst, worst case scenario. It's a standoff and everybody's mad at everybody. Try splitting the repair in four ways. The buyer, the seller, the listing agent, and the buyer's agent. Split it up. Even Steven, everybody contributes. It's a good way to level the playing field and keep everybody happy. Now, if the seller wants to repair the items or item, but doesn't have the cash to pay for it, especially on big ticket stuff, well, find a repair person who can be paid in full at closing out of the seller's proceeds. Exactly. Now, that scenario that Julie just painted, you're going to see in some markets, there's going to be older people that don't have the cash to repair, you know, replace the $20,000 roof. That's usually where you come yeah. up against this because everyone's got equity, but that doesn't mean they have cash. That you know, the, the, They can't write a check for it before closing. Exactly. It'll be something's going to, you know, they just can't. So you could find a service provider that will do it. And what happens then is the money that's uh, going to replace that $20,000 roof. Um, by the way, did you get our roof uh, insurance coverage on I'm that roof? I'm working on it. Okay, they're good. they're uh, sending the adjuster out today. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have a hail <laughs> yeah. damage roof in Texas. All right. So um, you can set that money aside. Like the seller will um, – you find a roofer that will replace the roof prior to closing. Let's just say it has to be done prior to closing. That money to pay for the repair will then be set aside at the title escrow attorney's office and then be paid to that contractor at closing. And it'll yeah. just it'll show up on you know the expense to the seller. They, at they closing. send a receipt just like the termite guy does, right? They send it to title and it becomes part of the closing statement, gets right. paid out of the funds. Or and the work can be done after closing. Mm-hmm. The money can come out of the seller's proceeds. Again, we told you guys about this yesterday. Go into the you know escrow account or whatever it's called in your state. And then the buyer has, say, 90 days, six months to get the roof replaced. And then the money's released to that, um, you know, the buyer to pay for the roof. Or if they don't get it in time, done in time, the money goes back to the seller. Yes. Unless it's FHA or VA. And then you've got a whole other problem, which we talked about yesterday. Yep. Okay. Now, number nine, the Hail Mary solution. Speaking of hail, right? You must have read that ahead. (laughs) Um, Yes, you pay for it, but it's a loan, not a gift from you. Have your title company create a promissory note, charge a little interest, and have a date by which it must be paid, and actually file it at closing. Again, not on something that's 500 bucks, but on like an expensive roof or something like that. You may or may not be paid, but it's better than just giving your money away. And you will remember, Tim, that we did do this a few times, and we didn't expect to be paid back. <laughs> but miraculously, every single one of them paid us back within a year of closing. And became great sources of business. Now, if you're going to do this, you've got to let all parties to the transaction yes. know so no one finds out and thinks that we're some kind of you know janky business going on. That's why you want to file it and disclose it and exactly. you know, all those things. That That's a very last case scenario. Especially these days when, to your earlier point, most everybody has equity and can do the solution we did before that one. Okay, number 10, be willing to lose the deal, but make sure you and the seller have a plan to get it back on the market. Extend your listing agreement. Figure out if they have to fix items or not fix items, but disclose. Maybe the repairs get done and it goes back on the market with or without a higher price. It totally depends on the situation and what kind of repair we're talking about. So yes, if you're going to walk away... Let's just tell them to go jump in a lake. You better have a plan for after that happens. And the plan's going to include, as we've been helping, uh, you know, doing our best to help you guys understand, is updating the property disclosure form. Oh, Julie, hold on. I had this property as a rental property. I didn't know crap about the property. And when I'm just going to, I don't have to do a property disclosure form. You have an inspected then or appraised with, you know, government financing. And then you get this litany of things that need to be fixed. Now you do know. And now you do know. Guess what you have to do, even if you don't have actual knowledge prior because it was a rental property, you didn't live in it. Now you have actual knowledge, uh, Mr. Smarty Pants owner. Now you have to update mm-hmm. it. And that's, you know, so get the crap done prior to putting the house for sale. 
If not, work it through. Um, you know, well, honestly, that's the easy button. But if not, yeah. you're going to have to fix it because the house, uh, once the property disclosure form is updated with all the repairs, all the needed issues, it's those things are going to have to be done no matter what. That's right. And this next part we talked about a little bit yesterday. Caution, especially to listing agents. Be sure you're doing what the seller, or if you're on the buyer side, what the buyer wishes to do versus inserting your opinion. Many times when you submit the list and just keep your mouth shut, the seller will say, yes, I knew about that. I'm taking care of it. How about I fix A, B, and C and offer them 1500 bucks for the rest? Don't create objections where there aren't any. And again, we go back to the home warranty, the seller's home warranty. And then a cautionary tale to buyer's agents. Don't overreact on behalf of your buyers. Don't use home inspectors who like drama. Good bedside manner is beneficial. So prepare your buyers that this is a negotiation, not a bloodbath. <laughs> and also, here's the thing. Here's a crazy thing, too. A lot of times, if you, as the buyer's agent, don't ramp them all up that we're going to come after the seller on a secondary negotiation on the inspection, the buyer will get the report. Remember, they saw the house. They told you they wanted to buy it. And they'll be like, yeah, that's about what we expected. And instead of using it as a bloodbath for the seller, they use it as a checklist of the stuff that they're going to do. Maybe they wanted to buy a rehab. This goes back to the point Julie uh, made earlier. Um, keep your mouth shut. Because if the buyer, to Julie's point, if the home inspection comes through and you're like, okay, I'm going to go back to battle. No. You ask the buyer what they want to do. Right. Don't don't just automatically assume that they want to jeopardize pissing the seller off and it's losing a huge the deal. Mistake. Because of just whatever came off in the home inspection report. They maybe knew about all those things and were perfectly fine doing all the work themselves. Frankly, that's the smart move in most markets for the buyers to basically go in expecting there to be a fair amount of work that's going to be done and just be grateful that you get the house. Because guess what? Yeah. Over the long, per long period of time, obviously, it's going to have been a huge home run having purchased the home. Well, right. By the time you close, they've built equity. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. What I'm so let's talk for a second about this bedside manner idea with home inspectors. Thank you for doing that. Okay. I was going to bring that yeah, up. Because sometimes... It's not you, it's not the agent, it's not the buyer or the seller. Sometimes it's actually an overly dramatic home inspector. So home inspectors, for the most part, in most markets, don't have really any experience because for the most part, in the most markets, there's no home inspections that have happened for a long period of time. <laughs> a long time. So you're dealing with a lot of home inspectors that have no bedside manner. They're just going to show up and act like, you know, a, a, a cyclone of horribleness. And they're going to, oh my gosh, reverse polarity on an outlet. And they're going to make it sound like the house is going to blow up and become sort of a yep. black hole that aliens are going to escape into our realm with, you know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're going to say all kinds of crap. The so here's pit. what you do. You go to the best listing agent in your marketplace. Go to the MLS, find out who the best listing agent is based on the number of homes they sold. Call them up. Find, or maybe their administrative assistants or maybe whoever, and ask them who are the top three home inspectors that they use. Just ask them. Mm -hmm. who, are the home, who are the best home inspectors in They'll town? They'll have sorted them out by now. Totally. Now, a good home inspector is going to find all the things that a bad home inspector will find, maybe even more. But a good home inspector won't freak your buyer out and essentially cause them to make a mountain over a molehill. Mm -hmm. Don't assume that the buyer has any clue what these sort of scary sounding things on a home inspection actually mean in terms of dollars and cents. Well, that's right. I, one of our favorite home inspectors would certainly, we're not saying hire somebody that's not going to find something. That's not the point. But to your point, they, they're going to find the same thing that anybody would. What he would do is say, here's what I, here's what I found. Here's how much life it probably has left on it. Or he would say, maybe it just needs serviced, right? Maybe a minor repair. And then he would give a little bit of an estimate. This could range from 100 to $300. Metzger. Metzger, yes. He was great because he was. he was very calm. He wouldn't say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're buying a 50-year-old house. 
he would say, well, you know, this is to be expected on a 50-year-old house. It's also worth mentioning, too, that you as a buyer's agent, or certainly on the listing side of things, should not be there when the home inspection is happening. Ideally, the buyer's not there during when the home inspection is happening either. Because again, you're going to have buyers that are going to start freaking out. So do consider having the home inspector going in there, doing their work. You don't show up. I'll tell you what amateurish agents are going to do. Home inspection is tomorrow to Wednesday. My buyer is going to show up. Uh, and you know, half the family of the buyer is going to show up. The home inspector is going to show up. I'm going to show up. For so three have, and a half hours. For three and a half hours. So you're going to have this big troop of people that are around while the, you know, the home inspector is checking the water temperatures and the burst polarity and checking the insulation and all the rest of it. Don't do that. No. Now, unless there are a few states where it's required, and most of Canada, they are required to show up. But know what your rules are. And if you're not required, don't do it. It's not your job. You're just going to create problems. You're going to open it up for objections. And you're going to subject yourself to putting opinions and you're not the home inspector that could make you liable for problems later. It's just a bad idea. That last part, you guys, if you ever want to take the time and ask yourself the number one agents get reason agents get sued, I'll tell you what it is. It's uh, property management issues, especially oh, yeah. with deposit accounts. But the number two is if you get, start getting into number two, three, and four, and five, it all has to do with agents that are stepping outside of the you know very tight rails of what you're, the services you're supposed to be providing as a real estate agent. Again, read your agency form, read what your license says, and don't do anything other than those things because if something goes awry down the road, you're going they're going to bring that up the fact that you were doing things that are outside the purview of yes. your license and you will lose every single time. And I'll give you guys an example because this happened to one of our coaching clients. You're going to have a buyer, let's say, you're on the listing side, file some complaint against you and it's going to go to your division of real estate and all the rest of this thing. You know, all the kangaroo courts are going to come out. So you're then going to, they're going to ask you for the agency forms, all the paperwork. They're going to check. You did everything perfectly. Everything was done. All the disclosures were done. They read everything. All the state forms were all checked. Everything was done mm -hmm. perfectly. But then they're going to find the buyer's going to submit some back and forth or something's going to happen where you are giving advice about something that you weren't supposed to be giving advice about. Yep. And you're essentially doing something out of the purview of what your actual license is. You lose. 100% of the time. All it takes is a copy of a text or an email where you were trying to make him feel better and said, right. oh, don't worry, you'll make up the value of it when you close or what have you. You know, there's many different iterations of that. So be very careful but, about that. But more, Julie, more specifically, mm -hmm. when they start actually talking about the size of the studs and the, you know, this should oh, be yeah, two by four, that. not two by six, or, you know, the, the, the bow in the basement wall, which we dealt with constantly, yeah. the bow in the basement wall, it's at so many degrees and within yeah, a just certain, don't do it. Don't do it. No conversations like that. Yeah, exactly. Now I know that some of you are by nature, very caregiving and want to take care of your clients. And I know that some of your clients are more nervous than others. So I wanted to address that before we wrap. If you feel like you would be going to an inspection for moral support, I appreciate your philosophy, but show up and meet them to meet the home inspector, open the door, give them a, a cup of Starbucks, hot chocolate, whatever, shake their hand and tell them that you'll be getting the inspection at the end and then leave. You can go there for moral support, shake their hand, make it a positive thing, give them encouragement, especially first time buyers, that kind of thing, and then take off so that you're not stuck in that position to try to pretend that you know, you know what the home inspector knows. Because if the if, why? What is Julia explaining to all of you? Because what we're trying to avoid you doing 
is essentially Julie said caretaking. Remember she said that? So you're there, you know, let's say with a first time buyer, the home inspector's there. The first time buyer is going to lean to ask you Mm -hmm. for advice on home inspection things. You're now going to be having an inappropriate conversation with that buyer. And we already painted worst case scenario for you earlier. You You guys get it? You're in good hands with so-and-so, you know, Mr. Bob Metzger. He's a fantastic home inspector. You're in good hands. He's an expert. I will talk to you at the end of the day after the inspection and you're done. Okay. Now last, last thought here. What's the bottom line with all this? Don't give up. If the buyer still wants the house and the st- seller still has to sell it, your job is to find the solution to get them both to the closing table. So don't give up. And if you're a, com- a coaching client, bring it to your daily semi-private call. It's, lay out the scenario for our Harris certified coaches and they're going to help you figure it out. But almost always, all of the worst case scenario problems can be avoided if you listen to the notes from yesterday's show yeah. or listen to you know yesterday's show and read the notes from yesterday's show. If you just follow those steps, you can avoid a lot of these things happening and avoid so much stress, not just for you, but frankly, primarily for your, your customers. Yeah. Right. That's the main thing. You want to make the, you want to know how you get uh, a never-ending supply of centers of influence past client referral business? It's because you made what felt like really difficult situations not so difficult. You solve problems. This is not to talk about the commission sharing lawsuits, but yeah. I mean, this is the type of thing that, you know, no one ever talks about. They, That's right. I, you know, an agent, all they did was, you know, they did the same thing a consumer do, goes to Zillow, opens the door. There is so much time and effort that is required and frankly, skill that's required. Mm-hmm. That's so much beyond what was disclosed in that whole commission sharing lawsuit that I hope, you know, yeah. over time, it, it's well, actually disclosed that the buyer's agent's yeah. time is spent probably 10% with uh, the actual finding of the house and opening the door, 90% hours sometimes, thousands of hours, yes. unfortunately, are fi- are then spent on all these other things. So keep all that stuff in mind. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. Don't. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>